This is a Spoonyville podcast, chronically candid conversations, and I'm your host, Morgan Green. All right, guys, welcome back. Today, we have now official friend of the show, Maya, with us today, and we're going to talk about something a little, a little different. We're going to talk about the role or the value or impact, however you want to say it, of faith, religion, spirituality when you have a chronic illness. So um, if you guys are not familiar, Maya was actually with us a few weeks ago when we talked about her chronic illness journey. So if you have not had a chance to check that out, please do so. But today is all about the faith. So Maya, thank you again for coming back and kicking it with us. Thank you for having me. I, I just feel so welcomed. <laughs> yes, we about to get into it. You know, you know, I had to give myself a little woosah. <laughs> um, so I don't like to assume anything, but what uh, religion or faith do you practice? I practice Christianity. Christianity. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, you have to ask because it's, yeah, it's a lot of things out here now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, like a grocery store a little bit. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and so have you always been Christian or is this something that you found later in your journey? Like you were like, oh, I, God, right now. <laughs> I have always been a Christian, but it wasn't something where I became a Christian because of other people, if that makes sense. It was something that I kind of went on the journey and I was kind of like, God, I want to know you for myself. So mm-hmm. uh, that's the kind of journey I went on. And that was elementary school (laughs) oh wow that's dope so I can recall like I've always been I I would say Christian I might have been Baptist because I remember I was baptized and the church I was baptized in it says Baptist but Mm -hmm. that was when I was what five six you know when your mama pull you up to the pulpit (laughs) you're not really making the decision um and then Probably like high school is when I was just like, okay, I'm going to church because I wanted to go. Like I was the person who woke up on Sunday, like, mom, let's go to church. You need to drive mm-hmm. me, that type of thing. Um, and so I definitely always feel like it's different when you are pursuing it on your own versus what someone else has told you to do or mm-hmm. told you this is what you should be doing, but not really feeling that calling on mm-hmm. your own. Yeah. Um, so how because for those of you guys who are not aware um a few months ago when I was on Maya's podcast and we had like a brief discussion brief discussion about you know faith and religion and she talked about how um her faith was something major in her chronic journey that has sustained her for the myriad of things that she has had to endure um but we really didn't dig deep into it so now we can how do you feel like faith has played a role in your journey Honestly, I don't think I would be where I am without it. And I say that because the beauty of Christianity, let me just say that, is that we have what is called the Holy Spirit, who, who if folks don't know. And he, you know, is the one that gives us guidance, conviction, all of that. And the beauty of it for me is that I, even when I feel like I'm alone in the process, I have the knowledge that I am not alone. And for me, that is paramount because again, as I said, like in our last episode, 
I can overthink myself into a spiral. And then you compound that with chronic illness. Like it just gets really ugly. So my faith uh, motivates me to seek out community and not allow myself to be alone in those moments. Because, you know, when you've had a background of trauma, uh, depending on how you, you, you know, accommodate or, or um, you know, grow out of that trauma, you develop certain habits. And for me, one of my main habits was shutting down and like shutting down and like clink, clink, shutting everybody out. And <laughs> it, that was one of those things, like when I first got diagnosed, like I really, I, I was shutting everybody out. Everybody out was like on lockdown. I would fake it till I make it, all of that. Um, but my faith in God is what really convicted me. Cause one day he was like, how are you going to show grace and compassion to other people? And then when people try to try to, I send people to show you that you lock them out because you're hurting that bad. And so I had to learn, like, even when I'm hurting, there's a time for space, but as humans, we desire connection. So to allow, to shut people out is not healthy because I'm denying myself of one of my most basic needs at a human level. So, yeah. <laughs> That's deep. <laughs> That's super deep. I, you know, you might've just read me. I am definitely somebody who, um, when I'm going through things, and I think a lot of us do this, but I am I grew up as an only child. So isolation is almost a comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And almost like I talk about how sometimes, you know, people do ask, well, how are you today? And it's always a question of, do you really want to know? Or are you just asking because it's polite? Because if I really tell you how I'm truly feeling, what are you going to say? How are you going to react? Like, is it going to be this dance? So for the most part, there's, you know, the answer that you give to, you know, coworkers or people on the street, people who aren't in your inner circle, you just say, I'm fine. I'm, I'm hanging in there. That's what you say. Yeah. Then, I literally just did a YouTube video on this. <laughs> yeah. Then you have people that are in your inner circle. And even still, we won't allow ourselves to be vulnerable because, we don't want to burden them with how we're feeling or we still might feel like we, you know, they don't really care. or They are not able to handle our truth. So we bottle it in. It's like, this is my cross to bear. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is what I have to deal with. So I'm just going to keep it in. I'm going to deal with it on my own. Nobody else needs to be subjected to this, you know, mm-hmm. thing. Um, so I'm definitely guilty of isolating and I've never... I'm going to tell you, never thought about, oh, God sent these people here to comfort me during my time of need. I've literally never had that thought. So thank <laughs> you, ma'am. <laughs> no, literally, as I'm talking to you, I'm always convicted by the words that I say to other people. So I'm like over here digesting how I just took my own edges. You know? Listen, sometimes you got to read yourself. <laughs> um. So that's dope. And I like that because even I don't even think in dealing with like the chronic illness realm, but I know a lot of times I have difficulty um, accepting like praise and accolades or compliments from other people in general. So like someone's like, oh, you look nice. And I'm like, oh, you know, no, I don't. You know, like you say you don't. But it's like 
to think about it in the terms of God used that person to tell me that he thought I looked nice today. Can I say something real quick? <laughs> I mentioned therapy in our last conversation. Mm-hmm. I was in therapy yesterday and I was telling her a uh, moment of transparency, y'all. I was like, I am terrible at receiving compliments. I like I've been receiving so many flowers lately that I just don't know what to do. And I feel like I'm on auto pilot because I'm like, thank you for your kind words. Thank you for your encouragement and repeat that. And it's not because I'm being ingenuine. It's because I'm still learning how to receive that. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I don't like compliments. It's just receiving that is weird for me. And um, she said, you do know. This is how you know your therapist is about to get your edges. <laughs> she said, you do know that when somebody's complimenting, they're seeing the goodness of that God placed in you. And they're recognizing the skill and the talent and the good things of your personality. Right. Mm-hmm. And then she went on like, you do really good at encouraging others mm-hmm. and, and, you know, complimenting them and congratulating them. Why is it that you can't receive that for yourself? You know what? <laughs> First of all, I when I talk to my therapist, I always start the session with, well, you ruined my life again this week <laughs> because I literally feel too woke for myself. You know how you have those moments and you're like, you might be, you know, just in a moment, you in a funk, you might be getting ready to spiral. And then that voice like, uh-uh, no, we're not going to do that. And it's like, who do I think I'm talking to? Like, right. <laughs> like, and honestly, for real, it's the therapist's fault because she's the one that got me to this awakening. Like, I'm upset now. I need to let you know that you've ruined my life. I'm having full conversations with myself. And while I know this one is right, this one is not really having it, like... I, yeah, you guys, please find a great therapist, one that you, not one that not only listens to you, but one that you can kind of connect with, have that relationship with, because it's important. We talked a little bit last time with Maya about, like, the importance of mental and emotional um, wellness when you are struggling with a chronic illness, because that changes your journey. Like, if you don't address the mental and emotional, that physical is going to hit 10 times as hard. Just my opinion. You ain't got to say, I mean, I, just my thoughts. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's dope. Um, I I feel like things are going to, like, that's literally like a light bulb to think of people, God using people as, you know, just the, what is it? A, um, I don't want to say a catalyst, but a, 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 um, uh, I guess people, people you know what I'm saying. I get you. Yeah, the thing, like the he's he's just using them to the, relay his message. Mm-hmm. So that's dope. <laughs> I'll be journaling about that later. Um, so I always I try to ask this people question to people, especially those who are Christian. Have you ever had a moment in your journey where you have doubted, or it has caused you to question your faith because things were just so unbearable? Oh, yeah. And, and you know, here's what what bothers me is because you will have some Christians who give this air like, oh, if you doubt, then you're lesser than because <laughs> there's no JV or varsity Christian. We're, we're all the kingdom of God. 
first of all, deal with your log first. That's how I feel about that. And so for me, you know, I look at different instances in the Bible where there's people dealing with uh, doubt, depression, and like sometimes blatantly trying to come for God because they're mad and hurt. Like I've seen that too. And so I've dealt with doubt many times, especially like I talked uh, last time about loss. Loss is something that will really test your faith. And, you know, when you're living with a chronic illness, you don't even know that you're going through it sometimes. And it and it's not a linear process. Like you can have, you can go from uh, bargaining to acceptance to denial real quick with just like, you know, a new circumstance appearing in your life. So for me, I really struggled um, super hard in my faith because one, I felt like, okay, God, I had all these plans to do X, Y, Z. And here comes chronic illness. People in the church told me that if I pray hard enough, this will go away. I don't have people lay hands on me. I don't have people pray like pray, P-R-E-Y, we'll talk about that later on me, Ooh. and and minister to me out of their flesh, all in hopes of having some results of healing. And I was mad at God, I, honestly, if I'm being completely honest, because I, based on what I was told, X, Y, Z should happen if I follow the formula, right? Well, when that formula didn't come through like they said it would, I was livid. Yeah. To the point where I tried to shut down on God. You know, we talked about that clink, clink. That don't work. You know, once he's in there, he's in there, you know. (laughs) And so I literally had to get to a place. God allowed me to get to a place where nothing else (laughs) mattered. But one, his word, which is the scripture, the Bible, because there were so many verses like you'll hear phrases in church, especially in black church um, that aren't even in the Bible. And then you'll hear verses that are <laughs> manipulated and misconstrued. And so I, I had to go on a journey of looking at all those verses mm-hmm. and find, okay, is this in the word? It's not okay. Is this in the word? It is, but they messed it up. So what does it really mean? And like do deep dive studies. And then there's the element of, just allowing God to come into my heart in the places where I didn't want him to. Um, That's another conversation for another day. (laughs) So I went through all of that because of doubt. And it wasn't that I doubted that he wasn't real. I doubted that he, um, it wasn't that I doubted that he could heal or his power a lot of it was because I had an expectation for God that wasn't really right to put on God in the first place. Uh, and what I mean by that is I was expecting him to be a genie. The only area I've never expected that out of him, except for that one area, which was chronic illness. And I expected him to be a genie. And that ain't how God works. <laughs> Yeah. So um one of my <laughs> one of my friends and I, we do like a monthly Bible study for YouTube called Cookies mm-hmm. Christ. And so last month, 
Mm-hmm. Not so long ago, we finished the story of Job. But, um, and if you guys are not familiar with the story of Job, I'm trying to do a quick synopsis. Job was, um, he was living a good life, good life. Like he was rich, he had his family, he had his friends. And for lack of better words, he was, you know, doing the right things. Like he was the type of guy, his children would have a party and he would go ahead and make a sacrifice just in case they sinned. He didn't know if they sinned or not. But he was just, I'm going to do this just in case. I'm going to make sure my family and friends is covered. Um, one day, Satan approached God and was like, yeah, I, Job is doing all this now. But I bet if he didn't have this blessed life that you've given him, he wouldn't be your soldier. And God was like, go ahead and do whatever you want to do with him. You can test him. Just don't kill him. So Satan came down. It was in the same day, y'all, this man lost his house, lost his cattle, lost all his kids. <laughs> and he was losing. He All of his wealth and all of his stability and all the things that he had worked his life for, gone. So we're not even talking about just physical, tangible things like wealth. He lost his children. People who have ever lost a child know that is a pain undescribable. It wasn't just one. It was all of them lost multiple children so you have that going on then but even then even though Job was upset he never cursed God then Satan doubled down and was like well I bet if you took his health then he would really switch up so now Job is covered in festers and boils it's literally hurting him to speak to swallow everything um and at this point Job still does not what I would interpret as curse God, but what he does is he expresses his frustration outwardly to God. Um, And in that story, I related so much because when I was first diagnosed, it wasn't that I ever said there is no God. That was never a question for me. It was me having a relationship with God, doing my research, knowing who he is and how powerful he is, my thought is, if God wanted to cure me, he would. That was my mindset at that time, five years ago. And so, you know, I remember having that conversation because people would say, oh, well, just pray. What I'm praying for, he know what's happening to me, y'all. What you want me to do? What you want me to say to him that he don't already know? He know I'm going through this. He's seen me crying about it. He's seen me in turmoil. If he wanted to heal me, he would heal me. So you all telling me to just pray is not helpful. And even within the story of Job, his three homies came and they tried to, what they felt like was whisper the gospel to him. And at this time, and what I would call it is cookie cutter Christianity. Mm -hmm. Their understanding was that If you do good things, good things will happen to you. If you sin, something bad will happen to you. So they felt like Job clearly must have sinned in order to have this be his current reality, in order to lose everything and be sick. And Job is like, I haven't done anything. This just happened. I just woke up and this was my new reality. And his friends for several, several chapters, y'all, berated him and just was like, you're lying. Like, why don't you just admit that you did something wrong, apologize for it, and then maybe God will show you grace. And I feel like that's what people in the church, well, when you don't have your own relationship with God and you have this 
you buy into the cookie cutter Christianity, like, oh, you're a good Christian. You, if you don't sin, if you follow by the Ten Commandments, you're going to live a blessed life. And when that doesn't happen, that's when people stray away from God. That's when people be like, I don't believe. And it's very, very frustrating. And I just, I don't even, to be honest, I think maybe a small portion of my Christian friends or my Christian family actually knew what was happening with me because I knew for a fact that it was the last thing I needed for them to do that to me, to shake me when I was already in such a raw, vulnerable space. And I guess I was mad. I'll say I was mad at God. I didn't hate him, but I was like, man, why you got to do this to me? Yeah. <laughs> you said several things. I love the story of Joe for several reasons. Yes. I'm going to make a couple points real, here, uh, real quick. One, people give Joe's friends for being present. For them seven days in silence? <laughs> for those devastating silence. Here's my take. I don't believe that you should give someone credit, uh, credit for being present if, one, they're being toxic, if they are tearing you down, mm-hmm. and three, they are preaching to you or talking to you from a stance of superiority, telling you that because you have a disability or chronic illness, you have sinned. Mm-hmm. Secondly, <laughs> um, another thing, you know, not all Christians do this, but I like anything. So we look at the world in its totality. Ableism is a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it just is. Like you have people who are more willing to recognize um, their racism or prejudice in terms of race then they will their prejudice towards people with disabilities or illnesses. That's just how it is. And that is in the church, unfortunately, not all churches, but the church at large, if we're talking in the grand scheme of the organization, unfortunately it's, it's in the church. Why? Because we we're all imperfect individuals. Um, And what has happened is that mindset, guess what? You got people who were, you know, having ableist attitudes before they got saved, guess what? They carry them with them into salvation. Whether or not they allow God to deal with that, that's a different story and a different conversation. Um, And so what you get is people, I mean, generation after generation, internalizing implicit ableism. So not only are they thinking they're doing you a service by praying for you, or trying to diagnose your situation or figure out how you got in this position, they genuinely don't even recognize that they're, have, they're exhibiting ableist tendencies under the guise of Christ. And so a lot of it, like even in the way scripture is interpreted at times, like the man, the blind man mm-hmm. who was healed, Jesus didn't ask him, yo, you want to be healed? He said, do you want to be made whole? The process of being made whole considers the individual in its totality. Mm -hmm. So I might not be healed in someone else's eyes or whole in someone else's eyes from a physical standpoint, but you don't know the work that God is doing on me internally. You know what I'm saying? Because we can look all put together on the outside, but if your insides are messed up, that's going to show. And ultimately, God knows the magnitude to which we are messed up in general. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's nuts. I'm upset now. I don't even know why I got myself all riled up. <laughs> Calm myself down. Um, yeah. So I just want to say, like, I know a lot of times 
we feel like chronic illness makes us broken. But in terms of faith and religion, especially for those of us who are Christians, the Bible is full of imperfect people who God has used for a purpose or for the advancement of his plan, his kingdom. Um, and so a lot of times when I'm doing, when I'm doing my Bible study or I'm just reading and I'm pulling different things and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like this person was not perfect, but they were you, you know what I'm saying? Like there was a plan for them. God doesn't expect for me to be like this perfect entity, never, you know, mm-hmm. or never doing anything in order for him to still, still see value in me and still use me for whatever it is. And I think, um, that's something that we also have to kind of grapple with is not feeling like we're a value, not even just in society, but a value to God. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like, what would he want to do with someone in a body like this? Like I can't do anything, but it's something as simple as smiling at someone <laughs> today. Like that's God's grace. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The grace that we extend to other people is God's grace. And we can do that no matter what our physical condition is. We're, we can extend grace to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think that's something that has been over time. Yeah. And to that point, I might add, um, one of the things that we as Christians have to be careful of is reading ourselves into scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, because the whole point of scripture is to showcase the character of God. And he does that by encouraging us through um, descriptive text and prescriptive text. So descriptive meaning a lot of the Old Testament where he shows how he responded to the children of Israel or how he responded. Um, And even a lot of the the heroes of the faith, they're caricatures of Jesus, which is the common thread throughout the entire Bible. And then you have the prescriptive text where you know, most of the Old Testament where God shows us, okay, uh, where Jesus shows us like, hey, this is how you love your neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not that, you know, you're better than someone because you do this. I'm telling you, if you miss out on this too, you just, you know, so Jesus raises the standard in that regard. So in terms of brothers and sisters in Christ who are living with chronic illnesses, we we are are getting to a place where we're learning to view ourselves in light of being able to contribute to the kingdom of God in the grand scheme of that design. And the hard part for people without those circumstances is learning to see us in the grand scheme of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. And so I would just like to mention, like, if you are a little more chronic illness and are a person uh, of faith, like keep shining your light, doing what you do and don't let nobody Christian or not deter you from what God has called you to do, because ultimately your obedience to him is what matters. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so I don't want us to uh, slide past this because I, I recall you saying something about being prayed upon. <laughs> yes. Um, you said it real slick, but I made a little note. Because <laughs> I was like, go back. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. So everybody knows the word P-R-A-Y, you know, to pray, you know, send up communication to the father on a situation, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) then there is praying on somebody, P-R-E-Y. And the reason why I differentiate or distinguish between the two, because a lot of the times we think prayer is one sizing someone up and just laying hands on them in the moment. Um, or taking bites of what they said and inserting 
a couple of words of our will that we interpret God's will should be for them into a prayer. Mm-hmm. Prayer really is communication with God. And in the context of praying for someone with a chronic illness or disability, if you're communicating to God about someone that is not yourself, chances are you don't know them as closely as God does. Mm. Just point blank, period. Mm. So what what I teach people or what I even teach people that I love and people that are in my life, like, hey, if you wish to pray for me, ask me what I need prayer for. Because God will give me the discernment on what to ask prayer for. Plus, I already know what I'm struggling with. Mm -hmm. And then you have people in your life who will have discernment, but it's not something where you should, you know, you don't got to announce that you're praying for someone. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And then in the context of, let's just say like an in-person church setting, don't just go praying on someone is when you just walk up to somebody and lay your hands on them. You don't know what illness somebody's living with. Some people literally feel pain when they are touched by the clothes on their back. How unsafe do you think you're making someone feel if you just walk up to them and lay your hands on them? Then you have people who are immunocompromised, so they don't want your germs on them. Then you have people who just don't know you like that, and they have to be aware of their sensory surroundings. So there's a lot to factor in. You just never want to assume that how someone presents before you is all that there is. And I think that's what I really love about Jesus, because he never just took someone at face value. He was able to discern and build relationship beyond the exterior. And that was the model for us as Christians that we should be following, like building relationship. That's what leads to self-disclosure. So if I don't know you from a can of paint and you lay hands on me, I mean, some people might be very abrasive to that. I'm just going to be honest. Even I might be, depending on the day. I'm not abrasive, but I will say that I particularly do not like um, people, when people lay hands on me, especially like during altar call cups, that's a very, you're like in a transit state almost. Mm -hmm. You are literally like, to put it into a visualization, like there is a beam of your aura going directly up to heaven. And if somebody comes stick their nasty, grubby hands and interrupting the transmission, like that's not what you want. Um, I don't know if you've ever read this book called um, This Present Darkness by Frank E. Peretti. Mm-hmm. So I love this. But I read this book probably at least three times. Um, and it talks about how we live life on two planes. So like we're here on the physical plane, but then above us, we all have like angels. And sometimes, you know how you walk past someone and you just feel like disturbed. And it's because on the angelic plane, their angel and your angel up there tussling. And that is your, that's why you feel like this energy. Like, I don't know what it is, but something's telling me to stay away from them. Like something, they're not gelling well with me. And it's just such a, it's such an interesting book to read. I love that book so much um, mm-hmm. in terms of when I think about just communication and discernment, especially like in the church arena where you have, where you would go to feel like this acceptance and this community. And sometimes that isn't always our experience. And mm-hmm. unfortunately that turns us away from the church, which is someplace yeah. that we should ultimately be running towards, especially when you are living um 
most of going through any type of trial or tribulation, a relationship with God is paramount, but especially with chronic illness, because there really is no ending. <laughs> so it's like, you need that. And with, and to that point, I will say like, over this conversation, don't get it. Don't, you know, don't get it twisted. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, but I heard it said that when you love something or someone, you will hold it to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. And as the church, we're supposed to be the ones at a forefront, at the forefront of social issues, at the forefront of um, world issues, at the forefront of our communities. So I would be remiss in not calling out the things that are lackluster so that we can grow and improve. And I'm even working on a curriculum trying to help churches just have better relationships and outreach with those with disabilities, albinism and chronic illnesses, because it's so needed. Like if we have the answer, why would we not become better communicators and exhibitors of that answer? Yeah. You know, so um and I have experienced again, church hurt is is a is a real thing. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I noticed, like it can be very easy to ascribe <clears throat> uh, favoritism in that aspect. So I've had plenty of bad experiences in restaurants, you know, restaurant hurt rude people, <laughs> people, but I would not stop eating. And so I've gotten to a place in my faith where I realized just because someone is ignorant of my conditions um, doesn't mean that I am not who God has called me to be. Mm-hmm. And, and their ignorance does not diminish um, my presence on this earth to be a conduit of life. And I think a lot of times it can be very easy. We talked about isolation to kind of withdraw and just be like, oh, well, I got hurt. And again, hurt is a real thing. But what happens is how we respond to that hurt can often change the trajectory of our day, our week, our month, our year, our life. And it turns into a mindset that we continually live in. And one of the things I've had to work on is just being aware of that. Like, am I mad at this person or am I mad at the structures that created the attitude that this person is exhibiting, which is ableism? That's mighty big at you. I leave with that. I'm mad at this person. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm not perfect. So it takes a while for me to zoom out. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm, when things are hurting me, I'm very, very laser focused. And then it takes that day or so or prayer or whatever uh, that I kind of like zoom out and can think of bigger picture structural issues. And that's part of being human. But the fact is that you're recognizing it and at some point you get to that place where you can zoom out. I think the problem comes when we stay honed in on the hurt for too long because again, I'm human. Some days I'm just mad at people and God be like, remember, turn that pain into passion and do something about it. I'm like, I don't want to do nothing about it, Jesus. No. And so I have to learn to just stop doing that. And just be like, okay, God, let me try to see things your way. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we talked, you mentioned before about like praying is communication with God. So during those moments when you are having like bad days or frustrating days or people are getting on your nerves or just different things that you're coming up with, does your prayer, does the tone, I'll say the tone, does your tone change with God? Cause I have often gone back and forth with people that you, they feel like you're never supposed to show that you are angry or upset 
with God. And I am a person who feels like God is my father. God is here with me. He already knows how I feel. So as long, kind of like with my own parents, as long as I'm not disrespectful or, you know what I'm saying, like cutting him down or basically, you don't do anything for me, but I am expressing, I'm struggling, I'm hurting, I'm mad that you allowed this to happen. And I, I just want to let you know that. And it's not saying that I hate you. It's not saying that I don't think you've ever done anything for me. It's like right now I'm hurt. I'm, it's like crying out. Um, but I know in, you know, some, some church folks or some churches, that's like, oh, whoa, that's basically like, um, swearing him. And I'm like, I, I'm not, I'm just having, this is my relationship with him. And I personally believe that's okay. But I know there are some people who don't feel like that's okay at all to ever, approach God in a way less than praise, I guess. So I'm going to answer that by talking about a specific instance in the Bible where an individual literally wrestled with an aspect of God, an angel, according mm-hmm. to the um, which some theologians believe it was some iteration of Jesus, you know. Um, and he came out of that, that tussle with God essentially with a new name, mm-hmm. he did have a limp because you know you don't get out of a fight unscathed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to me, that's the that's the depiction of the character of God. Mm-hmm. So rather than God saying you're wrestling with a, a proponent of me, I'm gonna shoot you down with a thunderbolt. You dead, gone, boom. Peasant, he left you exert that physical force in that moment and and get that out, you know? And then there's instances where Jesus, even before he went to the cross, he, he was, he was praying earnestly to the point where, you know, some say he was sweating Mm -hmm. like drops of blood. Some people interpret that to say that he was sweating drops of blood. Um, But he was praying earnestly, like, okay, God dealing with his own flesh, though he was perfect. He had to put, you know, he, he was making sure that he was in alignment and he was like, look, not my will, but your, you know, you know, Jesus submitted himself essentially to going to the cross on our behalf. He showed emotion in that. You see times where Jesus wept, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So there's not, I don't believe that if God is our father, like we say he is, why we should feel like we should hide the very emotions he gave us. That makes no sense to me. And growing up, I thought that was how it had to be because I couldn't have, I couldn't, you know, be that vulnerable with my biological parents. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the times what happens is we interpret God's character through the lens of our earthly parents, Mm -hmm. whether that be through trauma, you know, things said, things done, the lack thereof, the, the, you know, someone being present or not in our lives, we can attribute those same things to God unknowingly. And so it hinders like even our perspective of who God is, even when we read his word. So um, that's important to deal with. So for me, yeah, there, I have like maybe close to 200 notes in my phone because sometimes writing with like a pen is difficult with hypermobility. So I will literally type letters of prayer like God. (laughs) You know that Paul was like, God, this person said this and they said they represent you. They're not doing it well. And I feel like X, Y, Z today. 
And he knows very well the tone of that. And then some days I'm like, man, God, like, I just, I'm really thankful that in spite of all the pain, somehow I was able to get up and walk around the house. Yeah. You know, the little things. And then there are some days where like, God, I don't want this body no more. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of it, he's there for every last bit of that. Like, I don't ever feel like I got to tone down my vocabulary in terms of communicating the emotions that I'm feeling, the realities of what I'm feeling, because ultimately that communication keeps me from living in those emotions. You know, I've heard it said that emotions are great servants, but they're terrible masters. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I took that to be beautiful because sometimes, especially if you're like me and you overthink, you can learn to live in an emotion <laughs> and wear that emotion and see the world through that emotion for an extensive period of time. So having that communication with God reminds me, like, I don't got to live there. He done heard me. Let me move on. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what I basically feel the same way because it's a relationship and there is no perfect relationship. I mean, God's relationship with us is perfect, but how we relate to him is imperfect because we are imperfect beings. He created it this way. And when people say God knows my heart, what is the point in me verbalizing this faux tone or this faux picture perfect prayer when he knows inside my heart is breaking? I'm in turmoil. Like what would be the benefit in that? The same way there's no benefit in speaking this, oh, I'm so thankful and this, this, and this, but inside my heart is wretched. Like it's, it's, I just don't understand. You can't have both. <laughs> so it's just like, I feel like a lot of what I'm learning is we talk a lot about authenticity, authenticity, mm-hmm. but when stuff hit the fan, it's really easy to withdraw back into old habits. And so one of the things I've just kind of been aware of is how, God calls me to be authentic before him mm-hmm. before anybody else. So if I am presenting myself just as I am and, and giving him the, the permission and, 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 you know, moving out of my own way so he can do work in my heart, that is, that is where true and thought authenticity will flow from. And so as people with chronic illnesses and disabilities, um, a lot of times, again, it, we're very hesitant to trust people mm-hmm. and for very valid reasons. And so I found, especially in the early stages, that the one person that I could always trust and count on in terms of my emotions and not hold anything back, it was God. That's dope and very true. Keep up all your secrets, <laughs> there to console you, all the things. Shout out to God. <laughs> um, So I just have one last question and I'll start it. So what is your favorite scripture? Um, Because I have quite a few, but like, what's your favorite one to like recite to yourself or kind of like make your mantra when like you're having a really, really hard day or in the middle of like a flare up? For me, it's um, Philippians 4.13. It's like, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me because I need that strength. I need to be able to know I can make it through this hard time because my strength is not, this body that's weak right now. My strength comes from something beyond this world. You know what I'm saying? And he's going to give me what I need to make it through. Yeah. So that's, that, that's also one of my, I feel like I'm always in Philippians four at mm-hmm. some point during a year. It just never fails. Um, Cause it's such a, a potent passage. 
Mm-hmm. Um, even when you go up further where it talks about thinking on what is whatever is true, honorable, noble, trustworthy, because we have to constantly remind ourselves like our current reality uh, in terms of pain with chronic illness, that's not going to be forever, mm-hmm. you know, or our heightened sense of sensitivity. That's a moment. That's not the rest of our lives, you know, kind of reminding ourselves of what is true. So um one of my favorite passages, it gets, I love this passage because, you know, it it is it, it, beautiful. <laughs> so this is uh, 2 Corinthians, I believe, chapter 9, verse 12. Uh, well, going up, starting up a little bit, and it says, um, concerning this, he's referring to a thorn. So I'm going to go up a little bit. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Therefore, I would not exalt in myself a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times. The Paul apostle like wrote most of the New Testament over here pleading with God. If that's not permission to to be real with God, I don't know what is. Um, He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power will reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I love that passage because a lot of times people skip over that, again, ableism, (laughs) cough, cough, um, because (laughs) they don't even think about the fact that Paul wrote most of the New Testament, if not all of it, with this this thorn. Like he had to stop um, doing his work at some point, at several points to rest or be in medical care because of this thorn. Nobody knows what it is. I'm glad we don't because then there'd be too much speculation and drama. But nobody knows what it is. And as a result, even when he was in those moments that felt halted, God still used him and his ability to communicate and speak and be present as a conduit of grace uh, in spite of all of that. And so people often look at, okay, look, you know, God should have removed the thorn. Well, if he doesn't remove something, guess what? He strengthens you to endure it. So a lot of times we focused on what didn't happen instead of what did happen. God strengthened him in spite of that thorn. And so that's why that passage always sticks out to me. I like that. And I I think about that sometimes, too, just in terms of like gratitude. So I know it's weird to say, oh, I'm thankful for having a chronic illness because I definitely wouldn't have asked for it. It's definitely something I wouldn't ask for. But during this process, I've learned so many lessons and I feel like I've gained um, during this time, and just different things that I feel like God wanted me to learn, areas he wanted me to mature in, just like in realizing that, hey, these people are my messengers, you know, realizing to see their grace that they're extending to me as an extension of God. Like those are lessons that I am able to learn because of having a chronic illness. Um, so a lot of times we focus on just the illness and not the different things that we can still gain during mm-hmm. this time because I mean, let's just face it. This is forever. This is a forever thing. So 
Why not still find the beauty, find the joy, find the grace, find the God in our everyday? Like that's to me, that is how you make it through. Yeah. Yeah. I have several mentors and one of my mentors, he lives with like 12 different disabilities and autoimmune conditions. And uh, one day, you know, because I allow my mentors to check me and hold me accountable. He said, <laughs> you need to stop focusing on what you can't do and start focusing on what you can do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's super dope. Well, I thank you so much. Um, this has been a great conversation for me. I know I pulled some gems. I hope that the listeners pulled some gems as well. Um if you guys have any more questions, you'll have my info in the description block. You'll have Maya's info in the description block. If you want us to have a different discussion, if you guys have questions, um, you know, let us know. We can we can recap it. You know, we 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 can talk about this type of stuff forever because we've had this experience. Um, and also, I think discussions like this need to be less taboo. Um, this is again one of those elements that when you talk about something. When something impels you physically, how it impacts you. Who talks about how a physical ailment can impact your spirituality and your religion? Like we don't have these conversations or not enough of them. So Mm -hmm. I love when I'm able to have these conversations, be frank, open discussion and, you know, make shake shake the table a little bit, just a little bit, you know, (laughs) not too Mm -hmm. much. (laughs) So thank you again, Maya. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, and I hope that, you know, you enjoy the rest of this day. <laughs> Thank you for having me again. Like, I feel part of the a Spoonie Fool podcast family. So. Oh, you here. You might as well get, pull you up a permanent chair. <laughs> <laughs>